Warmer from the low, welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Coast to Coast with myself, Greg Eves, and now part of the Beast and Family Podcast. And we've got a tremendous podcast for you as in the second segment, Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN in Seattle is going to be joining me. We're going to be taking a look at some of the great mid-majors that we've been seeing out west, including the Mountain West, along with the West Coast Conference as well. Going to be talking about the landscape of the Pac-12 and getting primed up for Oregon versus Washington State tonight as well. So we're going to be having a nice chat there in the final segment. I'm going to be giving you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always do love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. And if you've got one or two ways, we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at JaresQuarty1. Keep in mind, let her see them. It does not matter. Sorry, as per usual. Please do send these into the timeline and the other ways. Find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter questions today, but I welcome in anyone who is coming in after watching the NFL season long. Don't worry, I'll be able to try to make you guys as much money as humanly possible from here on out. So, to open in doing so, let's try to get a little bit smarter from what we wound up seeing on Sunday. Let's take a look at what we wound up getting there. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. St. John's winds up taking the loss, but they get a cover against a UConn team that's been sort of all over the place and they've been able to refine their defense. 63-60 to 60 the final for St. John's. They were without Posh Alexander in this game once again. A little bit to be expected at this point. And for St. John's, you tell that the offense was not necessarily firing all cylinders. They went 34% from the floor to 7-13 at the free line, but you did wind up having a relatively solid performance when it comes to being able to take care of the ball. Just 8 turnovers in this one as Julian Chepenny, 13 points, 11 rebounds for UConn. It was really Tyrese Martin that lifted the team to victory. Went 4 of 6 from 3 fire range with 17 points, and then Andre 3000 Jackson, 16 rebounds and 4 assists, so UConn was able to win the rebound battle by kind of 52-41. to 41. You also do want to be noting that Aaron Wheeler starting to get into takeover mode here for St. John's. Double digits in 7 out of the last 9 games. Robert Morris has been able to turn over a little bit of a new leaf as well out there in the Horizon League. They wind up being able to get the outright win as an underdog against Youngstown State by kind of 73-68. to 68. And Take a look at Robert Morris and this is a team that I believe that they have now been able to cover something like 4 out of their last 5 games. So they've been able to do a solid job there as you wind up having Khalil Spear go 10 of 11 from the floor. 27.7 rebounds for Youngstown State. It's a team that's been hanging their head a little bit more on defense, played another under in this game, won the rebound battle by kind of 31 to 27, but they also wound up going just 45% from the floor. You did wind up having Tavion Olsen be able to give you 12 points in this one. Michael Okuchi, 11 and 11 out of him, but you did wind up having Robert Morris be able to step up a little bit more with their defense to be able to get it done, and Robert Morris, 7 of 11 from three-point range. So even though they didn't get a lot of possessions, they were able to make the most of them. Wright State, a team that perennially is towards the top of the Ryzen League. Things were looking like they were turning around for them ever since the beginning of the month of December, but now they're riding a two-game losing streak, losing both games as a pretty sizable favorite, and they wind up losing to Northern Kentucky by kind of 75-71. to 71. A Northern Kentucky team that at one point this season was one of the worst cover teams in all of college basketball, but now they've been able to daisy-chain together three straight covers, and everybody will cover four out of their last five as 
Wright State, they wound up going 9-25 from three-point range. It was just really an awful start in which they wound up having something like 12 points in the first 16 minutes, really dooming them. Grant Basile was able to give the team 25 points, 9 rebounds, and for Northern Kentucky, big reason why they were able to get the job done in this one is the fact that they were able to shoot 58% overall from the floor. If you're looking at just two-point shots, 24 out of 35, so they did a good job of being able to slam the ball inside as Adrian Nelson off the bench. 10 points, 6 rebounds in this one. Purdue, right now they have fallen on tough times. They wind up getting the win against Maryland, but nowhere even close to covering the double-digit spread. 62-61 to 61 the final. Very lucky to get the win as they were down 12 points with about 11 minutes remaining, and there were some strange inbounds plays that wound up happening, to say the least. Purdue goes 8-20 of from three-point range with Sasha Stefanovic really bailing the team out in this one. 17 points on 5-9, of three-point shooting. You did wind up having Zach Eady post a double-double, but what I think is really concerning for Purdue, they wind up winning this rebound battle only by kind of 33-30 to against a Maryland team that they're not necessarily that good down low. Fats Russell had himself an amazing game for Maryland. He did have five turnovers, but 24 points, six assists, nine rebounds, so he certainly did his part, but Purdue looking rather pedestrian here recently. Oakland, they were looking rather pedestrian before they got a nice winning cover against Detroit by a count of 75-59. to You can tell that the injury to Madhu Asich is right now hurting this Detroit team as they're having to just have Antoine Davis fire up everything. Went 4 of 16 from the floor. He tried to do it all and he just couldn't. And for Oakland, how about Jamal Cain being very able? 32 points and 12 rebounds in this game. So that was very good for the Grizzles of Oakland. Monmouth was having a tough time covering games the last, I would say, month or so, but they barely cover this one. 70-62 to 62 the final. I believe that this Monmouth team has covered just four other last 10 after they covered 11 straight to begin the season, so been very interesting. This one was a little bit of a tough one if you want to take Iona, by the way, because Iona in this one, they wound up getting up 51-33 to 33 with about 15 minutes left, and then Monmouth was able to weasel their way back, and we've been noticing with Iona, a very solid team, but hasn't necessarily been the world's greatest cover team as they seem to wind up letting up a little bit late in game so we're going to be taking a look at that moving forward Illinois they get the win but no cover against Northwestern 73-66 to the final for Illinois you did wind up having Alfonso Plummer be big for the team in this one 19 points he winds up going from 3 point range 5 of 11 and Kofi Coburn 19 points 15 rebounds what I think it's going to be intriguing is the usage of Andre Cabello in this one and he's a big reason why they didn't get the cover he wound up playing 16 minutes, 4 points, 4 turnovers and 2 assists. That was not a great stat line for him as you wound up having Illinois turn the ball over a grand total of 20 times for Northwestern. Just 13 turnovers in this one. Northwestern has been able to do a good job of being able to take care of the ball all season long. Those of you guys that were turning on the Super Bowl may have noticed this game just before the Super Bowl. The Rams wound up being able to win on the money line. The Colorado State Rams, 77-74. They get it done in overtime. You wind up seeing both of these teams on a heater the first 30 minutes of the game. Then both teams wind up going cold. Boy, you say probably should have had a one-on-one opportunity and a tie game at the end of regulation, but... That said, for Colorado State, David Roddy wound up getting rowdy once again in this one. 18 points, 7 boards wound up coming up big late in this game. And Chandler Jacobs, the only guy not named Roddy that's been able to give the team more than 4 rebounds per game, had 7 boards, 16 points, came up massive in this game. And for Boise State, it's a team that they shoot right in the neighborhood, about 63% of the free throw line, a little bit above that in this game. 7 of 10 at the free throw line, but Colorado State... 
their 11 of 11 free throw shooting, was able to carry them. And Boise State loses this game despite going 13 of 24 from three-point range as Colorado State did a nice job. Just eight turnovers in this game. So, saw some very good and efficient offense out there. Mercer as a money line underdog. They get the job done by kind of 73 to 64. Close right around a four-point underdog was more like five to five and a half in the AM. And for UNC Greensboro, they've just been overvalued. It's a team that they rely a little bit too much on Devontae Buckingham. And Buckingham in this one, he wound up not necessarily being able to do his part. 19 minutes, just six points. And unless the guys couldn't step up, UNC Greensboro loses a rebound battle by kind of 33 to 22. For Greensboro, only eight turnovers in this one. They commit 12 on Mercer themselves, but Felipe Haas wound up eating this team up. 28 points out of him, so Mercer was able to get a nice cash there. Loyal Chicago gave one of their best performances of the, of the year against Northern Iowa. 85-58, to 58, they were able to just flatten them as they went 14-27 of 27 from three-point range. A big trepidation they've got with Loyal Chicago. Not necessarily ideal rebounding. Going to be interesting to see if Chris Knight can really be able to take things over down low. 12 points, 9 rebounds in this one, and for Northern Iowa, things have been looking a little bit more rosy for the team recently. A.J. Green was able to get the team 20 points, but they don't have any rebounding either. They lose the rebound battle by kind of 32-26 for Loyal Chicago. Just 10 turnovers in this game, and for Northern Iowa, aside from A.J. Green, it's sort of a hodgepodge of guys looking to step up for the team. Noah Carter, just 2 points in this one, so that was relatively rough. You've got your top cover team in all of college basketball, and what was the bottom cover team in college basketball residing out there in Conference USA, but the bottom cover team in all of college basketball, they were able to get a win, and they were able to get a cover, and that would be marshalized. They wound up being able to take down Utah by kind of 88-79, to 79, so they wind up improving to, against the spread, 5-16-2, so they are now out of the cellar. By the way, the bottom team, that'd be Morgan State, who we're going to be seeing on Monday. It's a Marshall team that they do rank in the top 20 with regards to possessions per game, and the big reason why Marshall has been so bad against the spread is that they're shooting from three-point range right in the pocket of about 27% for the season. They went 11 of 22 from distance in this one to be able to get it done. And for UTEP, they went just 5 of 23. Meanwhile, for Middle Tennessee, they've been the top cover team in all of college basketball for much of the campaign, and they are back tied atop that metric along with Jacksonville at 16-5-1 as they wanted being able to get the job done against Charlotte by kind of 78-63 to for Charlotte. Just 3-13 of from three-point range of Middle Tennessee. They've been able to pick it up with their three-point shooting very much recently. 9-17 from three. I think they're shooting something like 45% from distance over the last four games, so give them some credit. Even without Pat Baldwin, Milwaukee gets the job done against a Green Bay team that has been hellaciously bad this year. 54-44 to the final. This is a game that took college basketball back to the dark ages as you wind up having UW-Milwaukee win the rebound battle by kind of 39-30. to Old Dominion, they wind up having UAB another loss, 81-72 to the final. This was dug up by Rocco Miller with all three of UAB losses in conference play. They have all come on Sundays after they wound up playing a Thursday game and all these have come on the road as well. So seems to be a little bit of a bad spot for UAB moving forward. So I do think that that's very intriguing. And if you were looking for a fun one in overtime, Sienna gets the job done against Ryder, 76-75. Seen some good ball out there in the Metro Atlantic as Ryder. They want to ping this one away because they wound up going 6-10 of 10 at free line. Sienna, 17-20. of 20. That goes to my point of handicapping free throw shooting. It is something that is relatively important. And if we're looking at college basketball and trends, for the season to date, it has been very intriguing because you haven't necessarily seen one thing that has been overly demonstrative that has rung through for the college basketball season as unders and overs darn near equal. 
2020 overs, 2012 unders. Home underdogs, they're hitting at a rate of 50.7% for the season. Road teams have actually hit at a 51% clip against the spread on the road, but if you take a look at a smaller view, last seven days, home underdogs, just 63, 64, and 2. I think that that's going to improve, and we've seen overs in this time span hit a little bit over 51%, 190 overs, 182 unders, and road teams in this time span. 55.2% is what they hit at last week, 202 164 and 8 against the spread. And then if you take a look at the last 30 days, so really what we've been seeing in conference play the last month or so, you've seen 811 unders, 787 overs, so 50.8% to the under in the time span. Home underdogs have hit at a 58.8% clip, 296 287 and 6 against the spread and away teams 53.1% against the spread. I think that we're going to see home court advantage mean a little bit more moving forward and what always means a lot on this podcast is being able to get on great guests and Curtis Rogers certainly fits the bill does absolutely amazing work over there with 710 ESPN does a pair of podcasts of his own the Seattle Sports Night along with the Seattle Sports Saturday podcast coming up next we're going to be chatting with him about the West Coast Conference we're going to be chatting a little bit about the Pac-12 and we're going to be taking a look at Monday's Oregon versus Washington State game as well. That's coming up next right here on Coast to Coast Soup with myself, Craig Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Vegas Hughes, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And it is great to be joined by our guest as Curtis Rogers. Does absolutely terrific work over there with 710 ESPN in Seattle. And he does a little bit of everything. You're able to catch him whenever it's baseball season, doing pre- and post-game work for the Seattle Mariners. I know that he does some work with the Seattle Seahawks during the season with scoreboard updates for them. He is a man that you're able to catch every Monday through Friday over there with 710 ESPN, doing a bunch of updates, helping out with all their shows. And he's also a man that is an Arizona graduate that does a great job of paying attention to the college basketball landscape. You're able to follow him on Twitter at a kid from Kent, and he comes to you without a QR card to scan to take you to a bridge to nowhere, <laughs> fortunately, as well. So we appreciate that, Curtis, and we appreciate your time today. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not falling for that Super Bowl ad. That one, I don't see the point, Matt, but I do see the point in us talking some college basketball, Greg, because, look, it's February. We're about a month away from Selection Sunday, and, look, there's no baseball going on. The NBA is still a ways away from playoff action. Same with the NHL. It is time to hop on board college basketball if you haven't already. And, Greg, I know you have not let your attention 
vary at all from this college basketball season. I am really excited for what is in store for the final push here before conference tournament time, as each team really only has about a handful of games left before all these automatic bids are on the line. I'm right there with you. And how about if we wind up taking a look at what we wound up getting over the weekend? Because it was a wild weekend out there in the Pac-12. And really, with regards to West Coast basketball in general, it was a very wild weekend as well. Because the Rams were able to get there to the window if you wind up taking them before 4 p.m. Pacific time because the Colorado State Rams were able to get the win. So that was a nice, very (laughs) awesome game there at overtime that very nearly bled into the Super Bowl. So we wound up seeing some great action there. And then when it comes to Pac-12 as well, what I thought was a little bit surprising is Isaiah Mobley winds up going out of the fold for UCLA just before their game, and yet they are still able to take down UCLA. And I take a look at the Pac-12 right now, and I've really begun to sour on UCLA recently. And if USC is just able to hit some free throws, I think that they could actually be the number two team in this conference. But I think far and away, Arizona is looking like the number one team out there in the Pac-12. Yeah, Arizona, I mean, just the run that they have been on in year one with Tommy Lloyd, that big sweep against the L.A. schools a weekend ago, I think that gave them a ton of momentum. And then they had a sweep against the Washington schools where both games they got off to an interesting start again to Washington down 14 early, but then just absolutely flattened them the rest of the way, winning by 24. Washington State, they got out to a great start. Things got a little tight early on in the second half, but then as it was against Washington, they just absolutely put their pedal to the metal and, and just ran away with it. I look at this Pac-12 slate, man, from this weekend. Oregon, with that head-scratching loss to Cal, they have been so hot and so cold this year. Losing to Cal at home, pretty inexcusable. That is a bad loss. I don't think there's any way, shape, or form around that one because if you're the Ducks right now, you cannot afford to lose games like that, and that, unfortunately, is what happened. Now they have a road trip against the Arizona schools coming up this weekend. The Arizona game on Saturday is going to be college game day, so we know McHale Center is going to be rocking and rolling. But like you said, UCLA... I am also starting to sour on them as well. I was not necessarily as high on them as a lot of people were heading into the season. Everybody had Gonzaga as number one, and a lot of people had UCLA as number two based off the run that they went on in the NCAA tournament last year. But remember, UCLA was a first-four team last year that really snuck into the NCAA tournament. Then they went on that tremendous run in March. But I think a lot of people figured they were going to build off of this year. But look, this is a UCLA team right now that is struggling mightily. They had that loss to ASU, which, again, inexcusable. And then losing to USC, I mean, USC's a good team, no doubt about that. But like you said, without Mobley, it was a very winnable game for UCLA, a team that is mostly at full strength. You know Mac ETN has got to be spitting mad right now if he's a UCLA Bruin. Because, boy, I don't know. I mean, maybe that was something that UCLA is still having to deal with, this whole situation with him. Yeah, he's not playing this year right now, dealing with an ACL injury, but not a good look when you're spitting at opponents' fans and their student (laughs) section there. That's something really tough to sell to everybody as you look at this UCLA team right now just hitting the skids. Yeah, you don't want guys that are spitting at random people, to say the least. That's not necessarily the world's greatest look, as we do have Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN joining me on the podcast. So it's been rough for UCLA, but it was also rough on Saturday for a pair of teams that are going to be squaring off on Monday. How about Washington State along with Oregon? 
taking two really bad home losses. Washington State <laughs> loses at home to Arizona State as more round at 11-ish point underdog. And then Cal, who is north of a two-touchdown underdog, they do the good old reverse cover, and they win by two touchdowns against Oregon by a count of 78-64. to And I have a really tough time figuring out these two teams. You got Washington State and Oregon for Monday. And for Oregon, they were sweeping that L.A. road trip that they wound up going on a few weeks ago. Then they turn around, they lose at home against Colorado, and then they get their first ever win on the road against Colorado. And ever since then, things have just been strange for them. And then for Washington State, it's a bunch in which you thought maybe they were going to be turning the corner after they got road wins against Cal and Stanford, but they couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat against Arizona. And it's just been an offense that for Washington State, I thought it was going to be pretty awesome. And well, it's really underachieved with 70 points of fear in each of the last five. Oh, yeah. And you look at this upcoming slate for the Cougs at Oregon, at UCLA, at USC. Ugh. This is where their season will be won and lost. If they make the NCAA tournament, it will be because they have gone 3-0 and in these three games. If they don't, it'll be because they've played how they've played all season long. I mean, look, their net ranking still not terrible after losing to ASU. They fell down to 47th after previously getting up to 42nd at 14-9 and right now, but... Look, when you're a team like Washington State needing every single win, you cannot afford to lose to Bobby Hurley in ASU. That just is inexcusable for a team that I think this year was looking to take a step forward, and and I don't necessarily know if they have. I don't think that this would be a team that would be satisfied with an NIT berth, even though that is further than any Washington State team has gotten in quite some time. I think this was a team that was very hungry for an NCAA tournament berth. Now, maybe next year they're able to do that, but this is where this season will be won and lost for them. Now, obviously, they are going to have opportunities in Las Vegas come Pac-12 tournament time. That is a very feasible way to get into the tournament. Heck, last year, we saw Oregon State make a Cinderella run in Las Vegas, win the tournament, and then continue that. And now they overpaid for Wayne Tinkle, who's on for six years. And boy, that looks like one of the worst contracts in all of college basketball for any head coach. But look, Washington State only has themselves to blame right now if they don't make the NCAA tournament. They have themselves to blame for scheduling a pretty weak non-conference slate. And then also they have themselves to blame for not taking care of business and conference play. Yeah, it certainly has been rough for both Washington State and Oregon here recently as both of these teams have had some good triumphs and both of these teams, boy, they have had some times in which they just have not looked solid in general. And what has been really interesting to take a look at with regards to college basketball as well is the mid-majors out here in the western part of the country as well because in the West Coast Conference, things are just all jumbled up right now. It looked like BYU was really going to ascend after they wound up having a nice win against Oregon. They have not looked good, to say the least. They very nearly lost to Pepperdine over the weekend. You did wind up having St. Mary's get bludgeoned against Gonzaga, but I think that we're both in agreement that Gonzaga, the number one team out there in all of college basketball, but I think that a pair of teams in San Francisco and Santa Clara that wind up doing battle on Saturday are going to be very intriguing to take a look at moving forward because I've liked what I've seen out of San Francisco, but at the same time, they've been sort of having your buddy at the bar syndrome in that they haven't been able to close a lot of close games. And I think that Santa Clara is going to be very live for an at-large bid. Also, got to give with regards to the West Coast Conference a little bit of a shout-out to a school that we know, know a little bit from our time over there in the city. Portland has actually looked halfway decent, and they got a nice one on Saturday, too. 
They did, yeah. Shout out to the Portland Pilots getting it done there. I mean, look, they've... They had one conference win the last three years. (laughs) Now they're, I guess, respectable. I think that's a fair thing to say about Portland. You bring over their head coach from Eastern Washington last year. You know, an Eastern Washington team that made it to the NCAA tournament, I think due in large part to the Groves brothers and, and Kim Aiken Jr. You know, you have Shante Leggins is their head coach now at Portland. And, you know, I think he has really injected some life into that program, which I think a lot of people have kind of looked at in years past as maybe a potential sleeping giant. You're in a good basketball market in Portland. You and I know that very familiarly as we spend a lot of time there uh, in Rip City and how there's a big fever for basketball, not just at the professional level, but I think at the collegiate level too. You know, you've got talent leaving the city of Portland. Why not keep it there? But yeah, I look at this West Coast Conference right now. I have four teams in the tournament right now. I think they're going to get more teams in the Pac-12 right now, to be quite honest. If Oregon can stop with the inexcusable losses, then maybe the Pac-12 can get four comfortably in. But right now, I think the West Coast Conference is a conference that it would be painful to hear for Pac-12 fans. But look, I think the West Coast Conference, talent-wise, at least top to bottom, is just as competitive, if not better, than the Pac-12. And I mean, yeah, the Pac-12 has some good teams at the top this year with Arizona, USC, and UCLA. But the bottom is just so bad. Now, the bottom of the West Coast Conference, not good either. Pepperdine, 1-11, Loyola, Marymount Pacific, all those teams. But in years past, Gonzaga would always get knocked for you know not playing a very tough conference slate. But, man, there are very few nights off anymore, especially, you know, look, even San Diego is respectable. They've got a winning record in conference play. They're 14-12. and 12. They're not going very far this year, but they're competitive. BYU, always one of the toughest gyms to play in and uh, you know i think they're going to be a great addition to the big 12 when they get there right now i think the west coast conference very much on par with the pac 12 maybe even trending upward yep i'm right there with you i like what i'm seeing out of the west coast conference and when it comes to pac 12 you do have three very solid teams at the top but after that boy oh boy it has been a little bit rough for everyone towards the middle of the pac 12 and then You've got the bottom teams like our good buddies, Oregon State, who are just not coming through to this point. As we do have Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN out there in Seattle joining me right here on the podcast. And Curtis, when it comes to what we're going to be getting in Monday in college basketball, really the lone West Coast game that is going to be the one that we were talking about a little bit earlier in Washington State versus Oregon. But still some relatively solid action. You've got a couple ranked teams like Kansas that are going to be duking it out. Is there a game or two that you really have highlighted on Monday that you want to take a look at, whether it be bubble implications, a team trying to rise up, or maybe a team from a smaller conference that might be able to make a little bit of noise? Well, I mean, there's a couple of games that do stand out. You mentioned that Oklahoma State at Kansas game. Jayhawks, you know, are they a legit national title contender? They're 20-4. and four. I think they are, but I think they've had some losses this season that have really opened some eyes, especially that loss to Kentucky where they were just really non-competitive in that one. Obviously, Oklahoma State not quite to the level of any team like Kentucky for sure, but, you know, I think Kansas is a team that, in that Big 12, I think they're kind of looking at, you know, 
trying to regain their footing as the dominant team in that conference, even with Baylor doing what they're doing. I look at this Virginia-Virginia Tech game out in the ACC. Virginia 16-9. The ACC, not necessarily what it has been in years past. I think Duke is right now is the only ranked team in that conference. And if Virginia is going to build off that win against Duke that they had with the tremendous game-winning shot, you know, you've got to take advantage of an opportunity like this against a Virginia Tech team. That is something that needs to happen for Virginia if they're going to continue to build off this. I mean, and look, the Hokies need it too. I mean, they're 15 and 10. They've got opportunities on their schedule to gain some ground here heading into the ACC tournament. I think that's a game that I think is going to have some bigger than normal implications for the NCAA tournament. I do agree with you. I think that we've got a really interesting slate that's going to be going down on Monday. You've got a couple power conference teams. You've got the good old Swack and Miak that always do battle on Monday as well. <laughs> I always like to be able to take a look at those because, as I always should say, it doesn't matter if you're betting on Duke versus North Carolina, the Super Bowl, or if you're betting on Southern versus Texas Southern or Bethune-Cookman versus Jackson State. Money is money and a man that is always money on this podcast. Debbie, you, Curtis, you do absolutely terrific work over there at 710 ESPN. You're doing a great job of being able to take a look at a wide variety of things. And I know that you guys over there out there in the great city of Seattle are going to be primed to be able to take a look at another potential deep run from Gonzaga in the NCAA tournament. And, hey, perhaps Washington State is going to be able to get themselves into the field as well. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general. Yeah, we're hyped for a potential Gonzaga title run again up here in the Northwest. We'll definitely be covering that as they continue to have you know, just another incredible run of success. But yeah, you can follow along with me on Twitter, at a kid from Kent, also on Instagram, same handle. And like Greg said, you can download those podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is you get your podcasts, you can find me there. And then also from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. daily on 710 ESPN Seattle. So always a pleasure joining you, and I look forward to having more of these college basketball conversations with you as we get closer and closer to conference tournament time because, man, I know that's a time where you are in your element. I would say I'm in my element as well. Just a great time for everybody, and I look forward to it. It certainly is. There is no more football to trip people up. It is now full-on <laughs> college basketball. It's going to be getting the attention. I do recognize that, obviously, we've got some good NHL action. You follow the Seattle Kraken, obviously the NBA's in our lives as well. But things are really getting heated up with college basketball. Curtis does a great job of being able to follow it all year long, and I think that he is one of the best in the business. Always great to be able to get him aboard on this podcast. So big thanks to him for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the VEASAN family podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we get some big shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... 
Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Las Vegas for Ghost Ghost Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get Curtis Rogers on. He does absolutely terrific work over there with 710 ESPN in Seattle. He is a man that is a wealth of information across all sports, does a great job taking a look at college basketball. It is always a pleasure to get him on this podcast. So big thanks to him. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go at the games with three digits on the rotation first, and then the games with six digits are going to be at the bottom. Those games with six digits, those are in smaller conferences like the Patriot League, the America East. You've got the SWAC, the MEAC, those conferences. And the reason why I go in this order is that a lot of books and a lot of apps do wind up listing their games in this order. And rather than saying, oh, I would like to bet on Niagara, for instance, you would instead give the rotation number of 873. If you ever come out to Las Vegas, you give that to the ticket writer. So that's why we wind up doing it in this order. And we begin with this first game of 865, 866 on the banking board. William and Mary, the favorite tag team of all of college basketball. You don't just get those two, but if you bet on them, you also get 13 points if you wind up taking them against the home team of UNC Wilmington in your tallest game. And we're between 139 and 140. This is a game which I think is going to be really intriguing because we have seen UNC Wilmington cover 14 out of their last 15 games. So this team has been very dynamic, but at the same time, you do take a look at what you've been able to get out of this William & Mary team recently, and it's been a bit better. Now, I will say for William & Mary, 16 and after an officer game, that is a little bit unsightly. I did wind up making my line at 13 personally. Here at 13, I would rather take 13 rather than lay 13. I'm going to be waiting on a little bit of a line move personally. If this winds up getting down to like 12, 12 and a half, I'd be willing to lay it with Wilmington at 13 and a half or more. I'm going to be willing to take it with this William & Mary bunch because with William & Mary, you do have a pair of guys and Ben White along with Connor Kachera who both give you 12 points per game. They're able to combine for about 10 boards, so these guys have been relatively solid. For UNC Wilmington on this massive cover streak, it's not that they're doing one thing great. It's that they just don't really have any weaknesses. They turn the ball over 10.5 times per game. They shoot 34.5% from three, 78% at the free throw line, and Michael Carew, Shaquem Phillips have been able to lend some good up to Jalen Sims. Sims is a headliner for this team. 15 points, 5.5 boards, shoots about 77% at the free throw line, but Akuru and Phillips, these two guys combined to shoot about 40% from three, 24 points, a little bit over 4.5 assists per game, and they combine to be able to give you three steals per game as well. You've had other guys like a Jalen Forns be able to step up. The Zarian White is able to give you 6.5 points, 4 boards per game, and William & Mary doesn't necessarily have a lot of depth, but they have had Tyler Rice be able to dole out the ball a little bit more. He's been able to give you right around 3.5 assists per game, 9 plus points in 4 out of the last 5 games. Turnovers can be an issue with them, but when you take a look at this William & Mary team, they are a team that they like to bump up their tempo. They're in the top 75 of the guards' possessions per game. UNC Wilmington, they're more in the bottom 75, but they've been going a little bit faster recently. I did wind up settling on a total of 141 with this Wilmington team, 70 plus points in 4 out of their last 5 games, and 
you do have a Wilmington bunch that is going up against a defensive William & Mary that has given up at least 75 in threat last four. So looking over and in this spot would be willing to take 13 or more with William & Mary. This string sounded more like a 12. Then we're going to be siding with Wilmington. 867, 868 on the bank board. St. Bonaventure is going to be playing us to St. Louis. St. Louis between a one and two point underdog in your toss game. Between 138 and 139. I said St. Louis is a three and a half point favorite. I'm going to be taking them on the money line. I think that they're going to get revenge for what we wound up seeing a couple days ago. That was St. Bonaventure going on the road, and they knocked off this very St. Louis team by a count of 68 to 61. Just a bad performance from St. Louis. They wound up having 18 turnovers, eight of them by Yuri Collins. I think that he's going to be much better in this game now. For Collins, he has for the year given out right around four turnovers per game, but also gives out 8.5 assists, 12 points per contest, shoots 38% from 3-point range for the Bonnies. This is a bunch that they're just not getting anything off their bench. They're averaging right around 2.5 bench points per game in the last 30 days, so that's been tough. Now, you do have a starting 5 of St. Bonaventure that's very good. Oshuna Shuni down low. Say we'll give you a little bit over 10 points, 8 boards, 3 blocks per game. Then you've got Dominic Welsh, 11.5 points, 5.5 boards. This is a team that's collective. They shoot 33% from 3. They do shoot 76.5% the free line. Jalen Adaway, Kyle Lofton, Jerron Holmes, average between 14 and 15 and a half points per game. Holmes and Attaway combined for 12 boards per game. Lofton gives out five and a half assists per game, but with only five players to be able to utilize against the St. Louis team that they're able to go bombs away with someone like Gibson Jimerson. Say we give you 17 points, shoots 41% from three. You've got down low Francis Okoro giving you seven and a half rebounds per game. Fred Thatch Jr. coupled with Tanner Hargrave. They both give you seven and a half points right around five boards per game. I think that this St. Bonaventure team is going to be up against it to be able to win two games in four days against St. Louis. I do think that you're going to get a little bit of a revenge spot here now. I do think that you're going to see a little bit of a slower game like we wound up seeing the first time around as well with St. Bonaventure only having five guys at their disposal. you got to think that they're going to want to try to slow this game down. I think that they're going to have mild success with that. Set this total 135.5 but St. Louis they shoot 76% the charity stripe, 36% from three and with being able to control things down low, I think that they get the job done taking St. Louis on the money line to go along with this total under. 869, 870 on the bank board. Austin P is going to be playing us to Eastern Illinois. Eastern Illinois is finding themselves between a 12.5 and a 13.0 dog. So I'm saying we're between 121 and 122. I did wind up saying my total at 125. Now you do have an Austin P team that they played over 80% of their games to the under. They are the top under team in all of college basketball. But at the same time, I do think that they're going to be able to control things down low and get second and third chances with Elijah Hutchins Everett. A guy that's been able to give you 13 13 points, six half boards. He's out shooting 34.5% from three point range, by the way, as a six foot eleven stretch player at home. Shoots 42% from distance. So has been able to do an absolutely amazing job there. He is going to be facing off against an Eastern Illinois bunch. Of, they don't have a lot going for them right now at the charity stripe. They shoot as a collective right in the neighborhood about 62.5%. They shoot 33% from three with nobody on the seam averaging more than 9.3 points per game. That'd be Kashawn Charles, who has been relatively solid recently. You take a look at Charles and he's been able to give the team a combined 41 points in the last two contests and has been able to generate eight steals in the last three games as well. This is a bunch of Eastern Illinois though that even though they rank in the bottom one with regards to possessions per game, 15.8 turnovers per contest or a bunch of they don't have a single guy that really gives you more than five rebounds per game. That would be Rodolfo Rufon Bolis. But you do take a look at what you're able to get out of the backcourt of the team. CJ Lane has been able to shoot about 32% from three. He gives you seven and a half points per game but I don't think that it's going to hold up even with Terry Silver dealing with a little bit of an ailment which is why his numbers 
are down to right around 10 points per game after he was giving you more like 12 to 13 points per game towards the beginning part of the season. Has looked a little bit more like his normal self recently, but hasn't been the same player ever since the turn of the year. But Carlos Paz, three and a half assists to right around one and a half turnovers per game. Also, P, they themselves do turn the ball over 14 times per game, but this is a team I think that they're going to be able to get second and third chances. I do like what you're able to get out of Caleb Stone Carowell, a guy that's able to give you 11 and a half points per game. Shoots right around 34% for three. Eastern Illinois, actually not the worst team with regards to interior defense, but they give up the arc at Austin P. I do think it's going to be able to get second and third chances. I do think that they're going to be able to generate seals on Eastern Illinois and turn their defense into offense. I did wind up saying this sold out 125, so I'm looking to go over with Austin P. I'm willing to lay up to 13 with them. So laying the points and taking a look at the over. It's 71, 872. It's going to be the DK Nation pick as we look to keep our undefeated streak going. Kansas State going to be playing us West Virginia. West Virginia between a 2.5 and a 3-point underdog in your toss game. Between 133 and 133 and a half. DK Nation pick is going to be Kansas State. I did wind up saying them as a 5-point favorite. I'm willing to lay up to 5 with them and when it comes Kansas State. I do think that they're going to get revenge after they wound up facing off against West Virginia about a month ago. They got up in that game by 16 points and then they just couldn't close it out late. You've got a West Virginia team that is not good on the glass. They are a team that, with regards to rebound rate, entered into the weekend 291st in the country with West Virginia. It's a bunch of that has actually been able to shoot darn near 80% the free line here at Bing 12 play, but at the same time, Kansas State, they're allowing opponents to shoot just 29% from three-point range. That's been a woe of West Virginia. They a collective shoot about 32% from three. First time around, you did wind up having Sean McNeil put up 20 plus points and overall this year has been able to give this team 13 and a half points per contest. You take a look at him recently and he's been able to score between 12 and 16 points at each of the last four games so it's been relatively consistent but he's a guy that he shoots well north of 40% from three-point range at home. On the road that shrinks to 33%. Down low, you don't have a single guy that gives you more than 5.7 rebounds per game. That'd be Gabe Osaboan who's been able to do that. You've also had Jalen Bridges be able to give you 9 points, 5 rebounds per game. You do have Taz Sherman, the Tasmanian Devil, has been able to give you 18.5 points per contest since coming off of his concussion. That still looked relatively solid. Been able to give the team 16 plus points in the last two games, but then you take a look at the flip side for Kansas State, and Nigel Pack is going to be packing it in. How about this guy giving you 17.5 points, 2.5 assists, steal and a half per game. She's 44% for 3 Kansas State. They generate as a collective about 7 steals per contest. I think that Mark Smith is going to be able to utilize his versatility with 12 points, 8.5 points per game. Now, Selton Miguel is likely going to be out the fold once again for Kansas State, but that said, you've got Marquise Noel who's able to give you five assists to two and a half turnovers a game. Kansas State is a team that they turn the ball over the fewest times per game of any team out there in the Big 12. West Virginia, they turn the ball over right around 12 and a half times per game. Now, you do have a West Virginia team that is generating eight steals, but both of these teams outside the top 250 with regards to possessions per game, I think that's going to be slow and grimy. I did wind up saying this total at 127. I'm willing to dive under, but I do think that Kansas State going to be able to get revenge DK Nation pick going to be laying the points with Kansas State. So Kansas State spread is a DK Nation pick to go along with the under. 873, 874 on the betting board. You've got yourself Niagara and they're going to be hitting the road to face off against Maris. Maris is finding themselves as a four to four and a half point favorite and your total on this game going to be getting at anywhere between a 130 and a 131. With Maris, I set them as a four and a half point favorite, so going to be certainly willing to lay the four. At four and a half, I would still be willing to lay it a little bit more with Maris just because I do think that they're going to be able to do a solid job on the glass. Now, it's a little bit of a disjointed Maris offense because you really don't have a lot of flow. You get as a collective about 9.8 assists per game, but Joe Ituka along with Ricardo Wright are able to combine for 29.5 points, 7 boards per game. Ituka is able to shoot 46% from 3-point range. Ricardo Wright 39% from the outside. You do have some Kelo Calais who's been 
but it would give you right around nine and a half points, three and a half rebounds per game. And then you take a look at someone like a Jordan Jones, who's able to give you three and a half rebounds, a block per contest. You got a lot of guys that they just do a good job of being able to fill a role. And then with Niagara, you do have a team that does have Jordan Cintron along Sam Oreo being able to combine for right in the pocket of about 18 points, 12 boards per game. You do have Cintron shooting 38% per three. And overall, Niagara, they shoot 35.5% from three, 73.5%. And the charity strike, but they keep bludgeoned on the glass. They do an okay job of being able to guard the three-point arc. They don't necessarily do a good job on the interior, though. Marcus Hammond, going to be the best peer scorer in this game. 18 points, four and a half boards. Does shoot 39% from three-point range. And Niagara is a collective. They do shoot 73.5% at the free throw line, but I do think that depth is going to be able to help on Maris now. With Maris, Matt Hermesy, his five rebounds per game right now leading the way, but I do think that someone like a Victor Eno is going to be able to step up. Someone who's been able to give the team five-plus rebounds in three out of the last five games just does a good job on the inside, and I do think that Maris is going to be able to hurt a Niagara defense that can be very shaky at being able to guard teams that are very three-point heavy as well. I do mind saying this all at 132.5. You do have a Niagara team that ranks in the bottom 50 with the guards' possessions per game, but Maris has been able to bump up the tempo a little bit more. Maris is a team that they do a relatively solid job at right around 71% at the charity stripe as well. So, one would like to 4.5 here with Maris, and I'm going to be taking a look at the over as I set my total at 132.5. 876 on the betting board. You've got Fairfield and the Stags are going to be playing us to Canisius. Canisius is finding themselves as six of six half point underdogs. Tallest game is any 14, 133 to 134.5. When it comes to Canisius, wind up setting them as a seven point underdog. I'm going to be looking late here with Fairfield. Fairfield has a relatively solid backcourt, headlined by two guys in Taj Benning along Jake Wojcik, who both give you right around 10 and a half to 11 points per game with Benning. He shoots 81% the free throw line, 34% from three. Wojcik more around 35 and a half percent from three, 90% at the free throw line. You've been able to have Asus Cruz be able to do a good job of being able to help out this offense with four boards. He's able to do a good job with regards to on-ball defending and then Supreme Cook. His 8.2 rebounds per game should be able to help Fairfield hold up down low against the Canisius bunch that they don't have a single guy giving you more than 5.6 rebounds per game. That'd be Yako Fritz, a guy that looks to be a little bit more of a stretch big man at right around six foot ten ish He's been able to chip in there 7.5 points per game. She's 32% from three-part range, but has been very sketchy with his offense recently. Seven points of fear in each of the last four games. Malik Green, who was the top scorer for this team in non-conference play, he has seen a dramatic dip in minutes. It seems like he's dealing with an ailment. He has not scored more than nine points in any of the team's last five games, so that's an issue for this team. Now, you do have a pair of guys in Armand Harid, along with Jordan Anderson, who have been able to combine for about 23 points per game with Harid. He only shoots so 60% at the free throw line. Canisius as a whole, they shoot 69%. The charity strike, 31% from three-point range. You've got a Fairfield team that they shoot more around 34.5% from three-point range. They only turn the ball over 11 times per game. Canisius, not a team that's necessarily going to go out there, generate a lot of seals with six per contest. They turn the ball over 12 times per game, and they really don't have a lot down low. So I do think that Fairfield going to be able to get the job done. Fairfield a little bit more of a controlled team, but they're relatively efficient on offense. Canisius, they're a team that looks to bump up the tempo. I think that you could wind up getting some late game felling in a differential of like seven with a minute left to go. So I did wind up setting my total out of 135 in this one. So looking at the over, and we'll lay up to seven here with Fairfield. 877, 878 on the betting board. Cleveland State, it's road to pace off against IPFW. Fort Wayne, anywhere between 
between a one and a half point underdog and a one point favorite, seeing a pick them out there at a couple spots as well. Total on this game is between 141 and 141 and a half. With Cleveland State, I want to make them a three point favorite. So I'm going to be willing to lay it here with the Vikings. Now, with Cleveland State, the biggest trepidation that you do have with this team is that they are not very good at the free throw line. They shoot between 66 and 67 percent at the charity strike, but you do have Troy Penn, who's able to do it all for this team. 14.5 points, 6.5 boards, 3.5 assists, steal and a half per game. He has been a headliner for a team that only turns ball over right around 12.5 times per game, despite being in the top one with regards to possessions per game. It's a bunch that generates 8.5 seals per game with Demoy Hodge really being able to lead this charge. He is someone that so far this year has been able to generate 2.3 seals per game, and you take a look at him recently. He's been able to give the team 3 plus seals in 3 out of the last 4 games. Someone that from 3 point range shoots right around 36% from distance, so he's been relatively solid there, and then you take a look at what you're able to get out of this Fort Wayne team, and you do have a team that has been relatively solid from 3 point range, making about 35.5% of their triples. Jalen Pickens along with Jared Godfrey, they combine to be able to give you 28 points per game. Godfrey is able to give you 3.7 assists per game, and Pipkins and Godfrey both give you combined 3.3 steals per game. That is solid, but they do turn the ball over 13.7 times per game. I do think that that is going to play into the hands of Cleveland State a little bit. You take a look at the last time these two teams wound up playing. It was Cleveland State who was able to get the job done by kind of 65 to 58. Ironically enough, this is going to be the third matchup between these two teams. You don't see that very often, but COVID-19 wound up happening. But when it comes to Fort Wayne, I just don't think that they're going to be able to hold up down low either. Ari Kapadia is able to give you six rebounds per game. Bobby Plantis is able to be relatively versatile. He's able to knock down some threes, giving you right around eight and a half points per game with his 36% three-point shooting. And I will say for Fort Wayne, they do shoot 78% at the free throw line, but Cleveland State wise in the way that they typically don't foul very good foul shooters. So I do think that they're going to be able to get the job done in this spot. And I do think that there is going to be a little bit of late game fouling. I think the Cleveland State going to be able to find themselves getting a lead. And I do think that defense is going to turn into offense for the Vikings. Set the sold at 144. I'm willing to take a look at the over. If Cleveland State made them a three-point favorite, so taking a look at them as either a slight money line underdog or a very slight favorite. 879, 880 on the betting board. Virginia Tech is going to be playing us to Virginia. UVA is finding themselves a five and a half to six-point road underdog in your Charles game. In between 119 and a half at 121. This is a spot in which I want to say Virginia Tech as a five-point favorite. So, you're at five and a half to six. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Virginia. This is certainly not the Virginia team that we were hoping to see this season, but I do think that they're going to have the best main post presence in Jaden Gardner. 15.7 rebounds per game. Now, on the flip side, Kevin Aluma has been able to give you 15.5 points, six boards per game as well. Has really been struggling with his outside shot at home. is only shooting about 27% from three-point range. And for Virginia Tech, it's a team that I thought was going to do a better job I'll be able to guard the three-point arc now. They shoot 41.5% from three-point range. You take a look at this Virginia Tech team. Among your top six scores, the only guy that shoots below 36.5% from distance is Aluma. You've got Hunter Couture, Justin Mutz, along with Naheem Alim, who are all giving you between 10.2 and 10.6 points per game. Mutz is able to chip in there. Seven and a half boards, three and a half assists, 1.2 steals per game. So good versatility there. Virginia Tech has a collective. They shoot 74% of the charity stripe. And you've legitimately got two teams that are in the bottom 10. With regards to possessions per game, we're duking it out here. I did wind up saying the total at all 113, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under, but I do think the Cater and Shadrick with his 2.3 blocks per game, going to be able to hold up at the point of attack. Armand Franklin has been able to pick it up with regards to his outside shooting as well. He's only shooting for the year right around 25.5%, but you take a look at him recently. It was a situation which it could only go up, and it has been recently. He's been able to give the team 11 plus points in now three of the last four games, and then Gay Clark coupled with Reese Beekman. These two guys combined to be able to give you nine assists, a three and a half turnovers per game. They both shoot right around.
round, a combined 36% from three, 80% at the free throw line, and for Virginia, only 10 turnovers per game. I do think that they're going to be able to hold up. I think in the end, Virginia Tech will be able to get the job done, but could only make this spread five, so we'll only take five and a half plus here with Virginia, so I'm going to ride with the Cavaliers to go along with this total under. 881, 882 on the bang board. Drew Rexel, it's the road faceoff against Charleston. College of Charleston is a four to four and a half point favorite. Charles game is a 114-148, seeing as high as 149.5. I wound up saying Charleston as a four and a half point favorite, so going to be one to lay a four here when it comes to College of Charleston. This team ranks in the top five with regards to total possessions per game, so they're really bumping up the tempo, and you got a pair of guys in Rene Smith along John Meeks. They combine to be able to give you 27.5 points per game. Both of these gentlemen shoot north of 34.5% from three-point range, and you got Smith shooting 95% of the free throw line as a whole. Charleston, they shoot right around 73.5% the charity stripe, right around 8.5 seals per game is what they generate now. They do turn the ball over 15.5 times per game, but you've got a Drexel team that they don't do a good job of being able to pickpocket. This is a team that they generate right around five steals per contest. You've been noticing that this team has went away a little bit more from James Butler, who was averaging right around like 12 points and 9 rebounds per game when he wound up getting hurt. He has been seeing limited minutes recently and they've put in his place Amari Williams who isn't quite the same guy personally. You take a look at him and he's now had 6 rebounds or fewer in 3 out of the last 4 games. A guy that has actually been a human block machine because you take a look at him and he's been averaging 2 blocks per contest so he does a better job of being able to get blocks. He does a worse job of being able to get rebounds but then you take a look at Xavier Bell along with Malik Martin both of these guys give you 11 points per game. Martin shoots 41% from 3 as a 6 with six combo player bell more on 37.5% from three, and then you take a look at what you're able to get out of Cameron Winter, and it is always winter time. He gives the team 4.7 assists, 15.5 points per contest, so only 2.5 turnovers for game. Drexel, they do a nice job of being able to take care of the ball, and Drexel does a solid job of being able to play relatively controlled. They're outside the top 200 with regards to possessions per game, but we have noticed that Charleston has been able to speed up so many different teams, like the game against UNC Wilmington. Both teams, we got north of 75 points in that one. You take a look at this Drexel team in general, and they are a team that they are prone to giving up quite a few points. This is going to be the first matchup between these two teams because the first time around wound up getting postponed, but I do fully expect that you are going to see the Drexel team wind up getting a little bit bludgeoned down low, and I do think that Charleston is going to be able to get the job done with just having the whole be greater than the sum of its parts, especially with a guy like a Demetrius Underwood who's able to give you 10.5 points, 6.5 boards, 3.5 assists, not necessarily a great 3-point shooter, but 2.3 blocks per game, so just stuffs the stat sheet. I'm going to lay up to 4.5 here with Charleston, so going to be laying the points. Set this total at 150 as well. I think that you are going to see Charleston get their tempo. So, looking at the over and looking to lay the points. 883, 884 on the betting board. James Madison hits the road faceoff against Delaware. The Blue Ends are between a 5 and 5.5 and point favorite. And your Charleston game between 147 and 148 and when it comes to the spot, I did wind up saying the spread at 4 with Delaware. So, I'm going to be willing to lay the points because I do think that Mr. Dylan Painter is going to be owning the paint for Delaware. 14 points, 7.5 boards per game. Gives a little bit of our block per contest as well, but take a look at it. He wound up being limited to just 10 minutes in the last game against Hofstra after he wound up missing a few games, so I think that he plays, but I don't think that he's necessarily going to be able to give you a whole heck of a lot, so that is something that you do want to be taking note of because this is a James Madison team that they're not necessarily great on glass. Justin Amadi is their top rebounder with right around five and a half rebounds per game, but what they do do is pickpocket. They give you nine steals per game each out of your top four scores for this James Madison team. Give you at least 1.1 steals 
Shields per game. Now, they've been dealing with a little bit of an injury of their own. Takal Molson has missed quite a few games. Wanda Bly is playing in late January. A guy that has been able to give this team 12.5 points, 1.7 steals per game. But you do have Ado Mars, who's really been able to take hold of the offense. 16 points, shooting half assists per game, shooting 36% from three power inch and 38% with 17.5 points per game in true road games. He's been able to chip in there 15 plus points each out of the last five games. Two turnovers or fewer in four of those contests. So it's been relatively efficient. It's a James Madison team that all of a sudden shooting 35.5% from three power inch. been able to shape up there. And then for Delaware, you don't necessarily have a lot of depth, but you've got a big three out there in the backcourt as you've got Kevin Anderson, Ryan Allen, along Jameer Nelson Jr. I'll give you between 11.5 and 13 points per game between these three gentlemen. Anderson dishes out right around 3.7 assists per game. Nelson Jr. and Anderson combined for three sales per game. And all these guys shoot between really 33 and 36.5% from three-point range. So a lot of like-minded guys. The big question is, when are you going to be able to get out of EB Asamoa? Someone who's been able to step up recently for the team. He's shooting 44% from three overall, but only 33% from distance at home. And he's cooled off recently. 13 points in the last three games combined after he had a 30-point outburst last time he wound up playing against James Madison a few weeks ago. That is a game in which James Madison wound up taking a loss in that one by a count of 85 to 69. I do think that you're going to be seeing things be a little bit different here. I still think that you're going to see Delaware get the job done, but I think that this line is a little bit exaggerated, especially with Dylan Painter dealing with injuries. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more buttoned up with regards to both of these teams as well, especially with Delaware ranking outside the top two order with regards to possessions per game. Set this total at 145. I'm going to go under. And with Delaware, set them as a four-point favorite, so we'll take the points. 885, 886 on the main board. Tulsa is going to be in the red face off against Central Florida. Central Florida is finally themselves between 7.5 and 8 point favorites. In your total on this game, you're going to be getting it anywhere between a 139 and a 141, and it's a total I want up setting at a 135. Central Florida outside the top 225 with regards to possessions per game. Tulsa, as per usual, they're playing slow and controlled. Now, Tulsa ranks outside the top 250 with regards to opponent three-point shooting percentage, and you've got a Central Florida team that, you've got two guys who are able to go bombs away from three. You've got Darius Perry, so they'll give you 11.5 points, four boards, four and a half assists, 1.6 steals per game. Shoots 37.5% for three, and Darren Green Jr. He makes 40% of his triples being able to give you 13.5 points per contest with Green at home. He shoots more like 42.5% from three-point range. Can be a little bit of a hit-or-miss guy but has been able to shoot at least 38% from three in each of the last four games so he's been able to heat up recently and then when it comes to the Salsa team, don't have any faith in them being able to do much of anything down low as you've got Dryer Horn who does absolutely amazing work. 16 points, 7 boards, shoots 40% from three-point range. He's able to deliver you a steal and a half per game as well and then Sam Griffin, who winds up coming in from UT Arlington. He's been able to chip in there 15 and a half points per game, shooting 34% from three. But outside of Horn and Griffin, you don't have anyone else that's able to give you a double-figure amount of points per game. Your next top rebounder is Ray Oduo, who's able to give you 4.3 rebounds per game. So it's really a rough bunch when it comes to Tulsa. You don't have a lot of depth now. They do generate seven and a half steals per game. They shoot as a collective 73% of the free line, but they've been flailing a little bit more with their three-point shooting percentage, right around 33 and a half percent. I do think that C.J. Walker coupled with Chekumbake Zhang are going to be able to control things down low. They give you a combined 15 and a half points, 11 and a half rebounds per game, and Bake Zhang is able to give you a block and a half per contest. So I think that Central Florida going to be able to own the paint in this one. I think that they're going to be able to own the game in a little bit of a more slow and controlled game. So this is all 135 going under. I'm Central Florida, willing to lay up to nine with them, so laying the points. 
887, 888 on the betting board. You've got Davidson, and they're going to be playing us to Duquesne. Duquesne is between a 13.5 and a 14.5 and point underdog. So this game is anywhere between 137.5 and 139. I do think that Duquesne should be a relatively sizable underdog. I think we've went a little bit too far here. I set this line at 13. Davidson has been shrinking a little bit more with their three-point shooting percentage, and you had to figure that there was going to be a little bit of regression. They were shooting darn near 43% from three-point range about 10 days ago. Now Davidson for the season, they're shooting more around 38.5% from three-point range, which I think that that's more of a true watermark when it comes to the team. You do have a lot of guys that do terrific work for the team, as you've got Luka Badovic, Hunjun Lee, both giving you between 15 and 15 and a half points per game in the Foster Lawyer. 16 points, three and a half assists per game. He chips in there right around a seal per contest. And with Davidson, what is not going to go into a funk with this team is the way that they take care of the ball. They only turn the ball over about 10 times per contest. That is one of the better marks in all of college basketball. You do have a little bit of a wart down low when it comes to this team. The biggest thing is that you only have two guys that give you more than 5.1 rebounds per game. That would be Mr. Hunjun Lee along with Luka Badovic. So it is a little bit of a top-heavy team. When it comes to Duquesne, they are able to utilize a little bit more I guess you call it depth. You've got Trey Williams who's able to give you a little bit over two blocks per game down low. He's able to give you 11 points, six boards per game and then you got Kevin Easley, a little bit more of stretch big man 11 points, six half boards. He's able to shoot 36 half percent from three. Duquesne they are a team that they turn the ball over around 11 half times per game. They're headlined in the backcourt by Mir Spears and Leon Ayers the third who both give you between 11 and 11 half points per game. They combine to be able to give you about five assists, 1.3 steals per game apiece for both of them and for Duquesne, they shoot right around 70% of the free line. Davidson, they certainly have top-end talent, but they don't have a lot of guys that they're able to utilize with regards to a depth standpoint. So I do think that this is a little bit too lofty of a line. You've got a Davidson team that they rank in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game because they don't necessarily have a lot of depth. So it's a total in which I wound up settling in at a 135. I'm going to be taking a look at the under of Davidson. Made them a 13-point favorite, so we'll take north of two touchdowns here with Duquesne. 889, 890 on the betting board. Southern Utah in the road to face off against Northern Colorado. Northern Colorado is finding themselves as a very slight favorite of one to one and a half points. Total is anywhere team 156 and 156 and a half and I wound up saying my line at four and a half. I'm going to be willing to lay it when Northern Colorado Southern Utah has been only able to cover right around seven games so far this season. They've been very rough from and against the spread standpoint and when it comes to what you're able to get out of this Northern Colorado team, it is a team that's able to go bombs away from three point range. I absolutely love what you've been able to get out of Drew Cookshausen, a guy that has been able to give you right around 11 points per game. Shoots nearly 44% from three-point range Northern Colorado. They've just been on a heater all year long from distance. And then you take a look at the flip side end. With Southern Utah, it's really hard to identify what this team necessarily does great. Now, they don't necessarily do anything too terribly. And you do have a guy in John Knight the third that's able to give you 14 points, four boards, four assists, two steals per game stat sheet suffer, but also shoots 25% from three-point range. Your main scorer is actually Tavion Jones. 16 points, five boards. He's able to shoot 30 two and a half percent from three-point range, but that shrinks to more like 30% from distance whenever he is on the road. Now, for Jones, he has been able to give you at least 19 points at each of the last four games, so he's really been able to pick it up there, but in Southern Utah, they shoot 33.8% from three, 71.5% so in the free line with 13.5 turnovers per game and a four six steals per contest, so that's not necessarily too great. Now for Southern Utah, you do have Mason Fawcett down low, who's been able to give you right around 8.5 rebounds per game, but Kurt Junkich, 
who does a solid job for Northern Colorado. He's also able to give you that as well on the flip side. And Dallin Counts, I think he's going to be the best scorer in this game. A guy that's able to give you right around 21 points per contest. You haven't been able to get as much out of Bodie Hume this year as you were able to last season. But you take a look at Counts, a guy that has been able to just really pack it in from three-point range recently as well. Shooting 42% from distance at home, 40% overall for the season. And he has been able to give the team at least 22 points each out of the last five games. He has been on a burner run with zero turnovers in the last three contests as well. So I do think that Northern Colorado is going to be a little bit more efficient in this game. And I think that they're going to do an okay job of being able to shut down from beyond the arcade Southern Utah team that can be a little bit sketchy there. Set this total at 153.5. I'm going to be willing to go under and I'm willing to lay it here with Northern Colorado. 891, 892 on the betting board. Iwi It's road face off against Illinois Chicago. UIC, a 16 and a half point favorite in your total on this game. And we're between 125 and 125 and a half. Dayway, I'm saying this total at 124.5. You've got an IUPUI team that has literally broken 60 points once this year. They came against this very same UIC team, and you got to feel like UIC is not going to want to allow that to happen once again. I think that. You're going to see UIC get revenge after the last time these two teams wanted to play. It was a little bit closer than many people expected. 67 to 65 was the final in that game for IEPUI. In that game, they actually wound up having eight players that they were able to utilize. They're down to six right now. So it's not necessarily too terrific IEPUI, despite ranking in the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game. They're turning the ball over darn near 17 times per game. BJ Maxwell still up for the team. He's able to give you 12 and a half points. Five boards per game. Shoots 80% of the free throw line, but as a whole, IUPUI, they shoot 66% of the line, 27% from three. I mean, these guys should, should not be seeing meaningful minutes at the D1 level, yet they're being forced into action. Then you take a look at UIC, and you don't necessarily have the world's greatest team here, but you do have Kevin Johnson coupled with Demaria Franklin. We're able to combine to be able to give you 31.5 points per game. Johnson is able to give you five assists. Franklin and Johnson combined for two and a half seals per game with Johnson being able to shoot 35% from three as a whole. UIC is shooting about 32% for three-point range. I do think that they're going to be able to do enough in this spot. They have been dealing with a couple of injuries down low, which has hurt this team a little bit, but you do have bag in the fold Michael Diggins, someone who's been able to give you right around four and a half rebounds per game. I think that he's going to be able to continue his improved play, five plus rebounds in four out of the last five games. Hasn't necessarily been too much of a scorer, but you've got a EUE-PUE team that has been putting the PU and IPY. They don't have any size. I think that UIC comes out for revenge, and I think that they're going to get it, and I think that I IUPUI has a chance of getting held to 50 in this spot, so I'm willing to lay up to 22.5 here with UIC. Set this total at 124.5, so laying it here with the Flames to go along with this total under 893, 894 on the betting board. Southern Miss is going to be playing us Western Kentucky. Hilltoppers are an 11.5 to a 12-point road favorite. Your totals anywhere between 139.5 and 141. I did wind up saying my total at a 135. You do have a Southern Miss team that they rank in the bottom 80 in all of college basketball with regards to possessions per game, and for Western Kentucky I do think that they're going to be able to do a solid job with their interior defense because you've got the leader in shot blocks in all of college basketball, Jamarian Sharp, 8.7 boards and 4.4 blocks per game for a man that literally stands seven foot five. You've got a Western Kentucky team that has been able to shoot about 35.5% from three-point range as well. Josh Anderson has been impressing me. Shoots 81.5% the free line, 41.5% from three, two and a half seals with 13 points per game. Now, Davion McKnight does need to rein it in a little bit more with the turnovers, three and a half per contest, but does give you 15 points, five and a half boards, a little bit over six assists per game. You've had a guy in Mr. Jerry Hamilton, who has been struggling a little bit more recently. 13 and a half points per game, but take a look at it. He's won a 
up putting up 12 or fewer in three of the last four games, but has been able to do a solid job on the glass. And then on the flip side, for Southern Miss, this is just a bunch that they need to get a little bit more out of the backcourt. Tay Hardy was able to give the team 14 points per game, but wound up going out with injury right around like halfway through the season and has not been seen since. So it's been really the low post play that has had to carry the day for this team. You've got Isaiah Moore, a couple with Tyler Stevenson. With Moore, he's able to give you 10.5 points, 6 boards per game, Stevenson 15 points, 8 rebounds per game. It's really been up to versatile six foot eight gentleman DeAndre Pinkney to be able to give the team a little bit of outside shooting. At home, he makes 37% of his threes. He's able to give you right around 5 boards per game, but certainly someone that has been all over the place with his scoring. Hasn't necessarily been able to be too much of a difference maker with 12 points or fewer in each of the last 4 games for this team. You do have someone that's been able to give you right around 4.5-ish assists per game in Waylon Napper, but he only gives you right around 4.5 points per game as well. He shoots 45% of the free time for Southern Miss as a collective. They shoot 31% for 3, 69% the free line, and with 13 and after an over for game, I think that that's going to be costly. I do think that they're going to get their little bit of a slower tempo, and in this spot, I do think that Southern Miss is going to be able to do an okay job on the glass. With Western Kentucky, I think that they should be able to win this game comfortably. I think the, the number has gotten a little bit too far out of the whack, though. I wound up saying this line at 11, so I'm going to be willing to take a 12 here with Southern Miss, and with the total, made it a 135, so diving under as well. 895, 896 on the bank border, Rhode Island is going to be playing us to Dayton. The Flyers are finding themselves as a two and a half to a three point favorite, seeing a straight two out there as well. So it's any fourteen, one twenty three and a half, and one twenty four. I made Rhode Island a two and a half point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to take them on the money line now. Prior to their win against Davidson, Rhode Island was riding a five game losing streak, but it's not like they were blown out in any of those games. And last time these two teams wound up playing, it was a 53 to 51 affair. Dayton was barely able to pull it out on their home floor, even with Rhode Island committing 16 turnovers in that game. And Dayton is typically the team that winds up having a couple too many turnovers overall for the year. They've turned the ball for 13 and a half times per game. They do shoot Dayton does 35.8 percent from three, but also 68% at the free line. You take a look at this Dayton team, and Ron Holmes, the second, has been terrific for this team. 11.5 points, 6 boards, 2.5 blocks per game to Monty Kamara. Chips in there, 6.5 boards per game as well, but other than these two gentlemen, you don't have anyone else that gives you more than 4.1 rebounds per game. Malachi Smith does give you 9 points, 5 assists, 2 steals per game, and you do have Kobe Elvis entering the building, shooting 44.5% from 3-point range, but with Rhode Island, you do have the Mitchell brothers that do an absolutely tremendous job down low. They're able to combine for about 13 rebounds per game, but Kel Mitchell has been able to give you 2.8 blocks per game. You do have both of these gentlemen combining to be able to give you 21 points per game. Makai is able to pop a couple threes as well. Now with Rhode Island, they do shoot 64.5% of the free throw line themselves. They shoot more like 35% per three, 14 turnovers per game, but I do like what you're able to get out of Ishmael Alameen. 7 points per game, shoots 43% from three, 93% at the free throw line. You're able to get 5 boards per game out of Antoine Walker, a guy that's able to chip in there 8 points on 44% 3-point shooting as well. Rhode Island does seem to have a little bit of better depth because I was expecting a little bit more out of Elijah Weaver this season. He's been a little bit banged up, but whenever he's been out there recently, he just hasn't been able to deliver for this team. A combined 12 points in the last five games. I think that that's going to be a little bit of a downfall for Dayton in this game, and I think that Rhode Island goes out there, they get their revenge, so I'm going to be willing to take them on the money line. Do you mind him saying this sold out at 126.5 as well? You got a pair of teams that are very slow, but I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late game falling. I think that both of these teams are going to shoot better than they did the first time around as you wind up having both of these teams combined to go 39 out of 109 from the floor. So I think that things are going to be on a little bit of an uptick there. We'll take the over and we'll take Rhode Island on the money line. A97, A98 on the betting board. You've got Oklahoma State. They're going to be in the red face off against Kansas. Kansas is between an 11.5 and a 10.5 point favorite. Total is anywhere between 142.5 and 143.5. You've got Oklahoma State, a team that 
has done a good job of being able to pump up tempo in the top 58 with regards to possessions per game, but it's just been a situation which you really can't trust in this offense. Now, over the weekend, they did a very nice job hanging 81 on the board against West Virginia, but West Virginia has their own problems, and you take a look at this Oklahoma State bunch, and it's been a really tough state of affairs for the backcourt. The good news is they do have Bryce Williams back, but ever since he's returned, he has yet to be able to break the 10-point plateau. You've got he, coupled with Bryce Thompson and Avery Anderson, all guys that give you between 9.7 and 11 and a half points per game. You've got with Anderson, a guy that shoots 34% from three for a team that in this collective, they're only shooting about 30% from distance. You've got the Boone brothers who both give you right around six and a half points and between two and a half and three and a half rebounds per game. So they've been rather pedestrian. Isaac likely is going to likely be the most versatile player for this Oklahoma State team. Seven and a half points, six points, three and a half assists per game. Both Oklahoma State, they do generate nine and a half seals per game, which is good, but they turn the ball over 15 times per game. They do shoot 67% at the charity stripe, so that's an issue now. They've always had Bill Self's number a little bit, but you saw Kansas first time around in January get the job done with a cover despite the fact that they wound up having a nearly 10-minute streak in which they did not wind up scoring a single point, and O'Shea Obaji should be able to take this game over. 20 points, 5 boards, guy that's able to shoot 45% from 3-point range. Christian Braun has been amazing for this team. Last time these two teams wound up squaring off, he had 15 points, 6 boards, and 6 assists, and you can expect that once again. He's averaging 15 points, 5.8 rebounds, 3 assists, a block, and a steal per game. He has been very solid for the team, and this is the Kansas team that they're improving down low. David McCormick, along with Jalen Wilson, have been able to combine for about 19.5 points per game. They combined for 14 rebounds, so these guys have been able to get the job done. McCormick, a little bit more of a shot blocker with a block per game. Now, been dealing with an injury to Remy Martin. If he does wind up playing at all in this game, it's going to be very limited, so he makes no impact with regards to handicap, but even someone like a Jalen Coleman Lance can be able to step up in this game. He's been seeing rather limited minutes recently, but has been a guy that's been able to shoot about 41% from three-point range in his 15th year of eligibility. So Kansas, I still think it's going to be strong out there in the backcourt. You do have a Oklahoma State team that is very fast, but they're very efficient on defense, very inefficient on offense. I did wind up seeing the sold out 141. First time around, total landed on 137. So I think we're going to see something relatively similar here. And I do think that Kansas at the fog going to be able to get it done against Oklahoma State. I'm going to lay up to 13 or with Kansas. Won't lay the points. And I'm going to be taking a look at the under 899, 900 on the bang board. Creighton is going to be playing out to Georgetown. The Hoyas are finding themselves as a sizable underdog of anywhere between 11 and 12 points. Aaron Tolan's game, same between 140 and a half and 141. I wound up saying this line at 11.5, so I'm going to be willing to lay it here with Creighton with this Creighton bunch. I did wind up making them, like I said, 11.5, so here at between 11 and 12, I would rather lay an 11 than take a 12 because with Georgetown, there is not a lot of trusting in this team. Now, the Creighton, they've got their woes as well. They're a team that they aren't committing right in the neighborhood of about 15 turnovers per game, but you did take a look at the front end talent, and they're solid down low. Ryan Hawkins, Ryan Kalkbrenner combined to be able to give you 25 points for 14 and a half boards and Kalkbrenner, 2.8 blocks per game. And then Hawkins shoots right around 37.5% from three-point range. So these guys have been able to do a very good job there. You've been able to have a guy in Ryan Emmard step up at the point guard spot with four assists per game. Now, the thing with him has been he turns the ball over 3.2 times for contest. That is not something that you necessarily want to see. But last time they wanted going up against Georgetown, just two turnovers as Georgetown. Just a really, really bad defense when it comes to points allowed on a per-possession basis. They are outside the top 200 now. With Georgetown, it's a team that they do a good job of being able to light it up from three 
point range when these two teams met up over the weekend. They went to 6-24. I do think that you're going to see a little bit of a rise there as, as a collective. They shoot 36% from distance. Caden Rice, Lant Donald Carey, they combined to be able to give you just below 27 points per game. Both shoot above 41% from three and above 81% at the free line. Georgetown, though, they do turn the ball over 14 times per game. Amino Muhammad, 13.5 points, 7 boards per game, but he, along with Timmy Ogihovi, who's been able to give you right around 6 boards per game, really the only guys that are able to hold up down low for this team. You take a look at the last time these two teams wound up playing, and Creighton went 12-31 from 3-point range, a little bit better than average, but Georgetown is going to do that to you because they just do such a poor job of being able to guard the 3-point arc, and I do think that Alex O'Connell is going to have himself a nice game in this one. Guy that overall this season has been able to give you right around 12 points, shooting 35% from 3-point range in that first contest. Only wound up having 5 points, and it's really struggled recently. 12 points for fear in each other the last 5. I think that this is going to be a nice bust-out spot. I think that Creighton is going to be able to light up at Georgetown defense that has just been anemic all year long. Won't delay 11 to 11 half here with Creighton and with the total. Set it at a 145. So looking at the over to go along with Creighton. 901, 902. Postponed game between Portland and Santa Clara. So this will be the last game on the normal Las Vegas winning board before we get the extra games. 903, 904. Oregon is going to be playing us Washington State. Washington State, anywhere between a 3.5 and, and a 4 point underdog. Seeing straight 4.5 out there as well. Totals anywhere between 134 and 134.5. With Oregon, I want to send them as a 4.5 point favorite. I was mentioning it with Curtis Rogers. You just don't know what to expect out of either of these teams, but I feel a little bit better about Oregon right now because you do have a guy in Will Richardson who's been able to light it up. 15.5 points per game, shooting 44% from three-point range, 3.5 assists per contest, and even though the team has an entirety wound up struggling against Cal, and he himself did wind up having seven turnovers after having a combined five in the previous four games. He was still able to put up 22 points with nine assists in that contest. Now with Oregon, you don't have a lot of rebounding with this team on Folly Dante, along Quincy Guerrier. They combined for about 10.5 rebounds per game, but you have got Mohamed Gay along with Effie Obadiji, who have been able to combine for more around 11 to 11.5 rebounds per game for Washington State. Neither of these teams necessarily check that box very well. Tyrell Ghost Roberts has been able to give you 11 points per game. He shoots 94% of the free line. And Washington State is a collective. They do shoot 74.5% of the charity stripe. They turn the ball over 12 times per game, shooting 34% from three. With Michael Flowers being the headliner, 13.5 points. Steal per game, shooting 38% from three. But I was just expecting a little bit more out of someone like a TJ Bamba. Seven points, three and a half boards, shoots in the mid 30s from three point range and Andre Yagmovsky. Whenever he's seen good minutes, he's actually been very solid for this Washington State team, but it just feels like his usage is all over the place at this point. A guy that has been able to shoot 53% from three point range in true road games, but only four points per contest because he just does a bad job of being able to get into foul trouble in general. And I do think that for Oregon, having Jacob Young along Davion Harmon combined for 22.5 points for Eamon Harmon, shooting 37.5% from three point range, could be enough to be able to carry this one with Oregon. They do shoot just 67% of the free line. A little bit of trepidation there, but I think it's going to be a relatively close game that does come down to late game felling. Oregon has honestly been the world's most efficient defense and neither has Washington State, so I did wind up saying this total at a 136 half. I'm going to ride the over. And with Oregon, made them a four and a half point favorite, so laying the points. Now we move on to the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. We start with 306, 097, 306 098 UMBC is going to be in the red face off against New Hampshire. New Hampshire is finding themselves a two to two and a half point favorite, and your tallest game is 137. I want to say New Hampshire is a four point favorite. This is a team that they rank in the bottom 30 
with regards to possessions for Amy UMBC, a middle-tempo team, but with UMBC, very efficient on offense, very inefficient on defense, so it's a case of which something's got to give. You've got good versatility when it comes to this New Hampshire team. You've got Nick Udorama, coupled with Jaden Martinez. These two guys have been combined for right around 26.5 points, 11 boards per game, and yeah, Martinez shooting 40% from three-point range. Blondo Chakongo has been able to give you 11.5 points, five boards per game. Had a big game against Binghamton. Was able to go off for 18 points overall. Has been shooting about 37% from three-point range at home, so I like what he's able to bring to the table. And then with UMBC, you've got Keandre Kennedy. He's been able to do a nice job. He'll be able to give you 14.5 points per game. He and Darnell Rogers have been able to carry the mail for this offense. Rogers gives you 10.5 points per game along with LJ Owens. Rogers, though, does give you those 3.7 assists per game. Owens a little bit more of a bombs away three-point shooter at 42%. Overall, UMBC, they shoot 77% at the free line, 35.5% from three-point range. It's been a defense that has been a little bit or miss because you don't have a single guy on this team that gives you more than 5.6 rebounds per game with UMBC. I am very fascinated to see if they can buckle down on defense because in their last four games, they've given up 88, 64, 77, and 53 points per game. So they've been all over the place with that regard. I do though think that New Hampshire is going to be able to do a good job of getting a little bit more of their tempo in this game, and that'll allow them to be able to get the job done here on Monday. I'm going to lay the points with New Hampshire. Set them more around a four-point fair and set the total 134 diving under as well. 306-099, You've got Colgate and the Raiders are going to be playing us a Lafayette. The Leopards are finding themselves as a 14-point underdog. Your tallest game in between 137.5 and 138. I want to saying this line at 13. I'm willing to take two touchdowns here with Lafayette. I do like the fact that Lafayette has a 7-footer that is able to give you some very good versatility in Neil Quinn. 14 points, 8 rebounds, 3.7 assists per game. Leads the team in all categories. Also a guy that gives you a little bit of a block per contest now. When it comes to Colgate, I do think that the backcourt is going to be able to eat up this Lafayette team. You do have Nelly Cummings along with Jack Ferguson who combined for 27.5 points per game. Cummings is able to give you 3.5 assists per game. Both of these gentlemen shoot over 80% at the free line. Both of these gentlemen shoot between 39 and 39.5% from distance. Keegan Records is able to give you right around 6 boards per game. And you take a look at this Colgate team among your top 5 scores. Four of them give you at least 4 rebounds per game. Ryan Moffitt has been able to shoot about 46% from 3 point range. Colgate as a whole, they shoot 39% from distance. They don't turn the ball over a whole heck of a lot, but with Lafayette, I do think that someone like a Tyron Perry is going to be able to keep this team alive. He's been able to give this team right around 11.5 points per game, shooting 35% from three-point range. has been a little bit spotty with his scoring recently, but that's why you've got out there Leo O'Boyle, coupled with Kyle Jenkins, a pair of guys that give you between 10.5 and 11 points per game and with O'Boyle. He shoots 36% from three-point range for a Lafayette team that they only turn the ball over 11.5 times per game. I did wind up saying the solo at 141. I do think that you're going to see a lot of clean possessions out of both of these teams. Neither are necessarily Blazers, but I think that both teams are going to be able to find open looks. So, looking at the over, and we'll only take 14 here with Lafayette. 306-101, 306-102. Postponed game between Longwood and High Point. No money to be made here, and we're going to be seeing that game tomorrow, so I have no fear there, but we move on to 306103, 306-104. Lehigh is going to be playing as a Bucknell. The Racket Plus and Bison are finding themselves a five-point underdog, and your tallest game is between a 145.5 and a 146. So, my total on 145.5 so I'm going to be taking a look at the under on this 146 and with Lafayette made them a 5.5 point favorite because with Bucknell it's been a team that has been just hellaciously bad at being able to guard the 3 point arc and Lehigh has been able to get relatively hot with their offense I like what I'm seeing out of Evan Taylor 14 points, 6 boards he's able to shoot about 43% from 3 point range and then you take a look at the Wilsons Marquise and Jamero Wilson Jamero Wilson 11 points, 5 boards shoots 42% from 3 point range and then you've got another gentleman in Mr. Marquise Wilson. He's been able to give you more 
around seven and a half points per game. Doesn't necessarily do as much with regards to three point shooting, but is able to do a good job with his on ball defending. Nick Lynch is someone that's able to give you nine points, four boards per game. Then you take a look at the flip side for Bucknell. Andre 3000 screen is able to do a good job with Alex Timmerman down low. These two guys have been able to combine for about 11 and a half rebounds, 18 and a half points per game, but what is really going to be carrying it for Bucknell is Andrew Funk along with Xander Rice. You've got the Funk with Andrew right around 18 points per game. Shoots 35% from three-point range. Xander Rice, he's able to shoot 88% of the charity stripe. 38% from three with 12.5 points per game. And for Bucknell, they do shoot 76% as a collective at the free line, but the 14 turnovers per game I think is going to be costly against a Lehigh team that they themselves turn the ball over 14 times per game. Neither of these teams necessarily generate a lot of seals, so I do think that you're going to see some disoriented player set the sort at 145 and a half diving under with Lehi want to making them a five and a half point favorite so I'm going to be willing to lay the points 306 105 306 106 you've got Maryland Eastern Shore playing out to Howard Howard is finding themselves as a road favorite of between four and a half and five points totals anywhere between 137 and a half and 138 set this line at four and a half so I'm going to be willing to take a five year with Maryland Eastern Shore with the Shore this team does a good job of being able to generate a little bit over nine seals per contest now with Howard this is a team that they do a great job of being able to shoot as a collective from three point range right around 37 and a percent. Got a guy that shoots 49% in Kyle Foster who's been able to lead the way with 16 points per game. He's been able to give the team at least 20 points in three out of the last four games and then you've been able to get good production out of Steve Settle the third. 14 points, four and a half boards. A guy that has been struggling a little bit more on the road though than at home. Shoots overall for the year 41% from three, but in road games, that shrinks to more like 30%. And with Howard, you do have your turnover woes. 15 turnovers per game with Elijah Hawkins, committing right around four of them per contest, and then for Maryland Eastern Shore, they are a team that they play fast, but rather inefficiently on offense and rather efficiently on defense. This is a team that they commit 15 turnovers per game. They shoot 63.5% at the free line with Nathaniel Pollard down low, giving you 8.5 points and 6 rebounds per game. Zion Styles along Tom London. They combined to be able to give you about 21 and a half points per game. You've got London shooting 36% from three-point range, and then you even take a look at someone like a Mr. Phillip, who's been able to do a very solid job for this team. With Deshaun Phillip, he's been able to give you nine points, four and a half boards. Got a lot of Swiss Army Knife players for this Maryland Eastern Shore team. And then for Howard, it's just a team that turns the ball over a little bit too much, though they do create right around nine seals per contest as well. I see something similar to what wound up happening in the first game where Howard winds up being able to get the win, but they aren't able to get the cover. I do think the things are going to be a little bit more up-tempo compared to the 72-64 to game that we wound up seeing earlier in the season. As In that contest, you wound up having Howard shoot 39% from the floor. They were a team that only wound up committing 12 turnovers per game, and Maryland Eastern Shore, they wound up having 24. I think that the differential is going to be a little bit less here. So at this total of 142.5, I'm going to be willing to take a look at the over, and when it comes to Maryland Eastern Shore, set them as a 4.5 point underdog, so we'll take five here. 306-107-306-108. Hartford is going to be playing us to Vermont. Vermont is finding themselves in between 12 and 13 point favorites in your tallest game. In between 139 and 139.5. And when it comes to this spot, I want to say Vermont as a 12.5 point favorite, so I'm going to be rather taking 13 with Hartford rather than laying 12. Now, Vermont has been a complete juggernaut out there in the America East, but I just don't think it's sustainable the way that they're scoring 75 plus points on any given night with the way that they wind up playing with regards to a possession per game standpoint in the bottom 75 so it's a slow team that they're just putting up points upon points and it's been all due to Ryan Davis along with Ben Chungu these two guys are combined to be able to give you 33 points 10 rebounds per game you've got both gentlemen shooting north of 44% from three point range it just doesn't seem sustainable in my opinion now you do have a guy that does a nice job of being able to help run the offense in Justin Missoula seven and a half points right around two assists per game and 
It's a Vermont team that they do a good job of being able to dish out the ball by committee. Isaiah Boom Boom Powell, six half rebounds, three assists. He's able to chip in their 10 points per game. But then you do take a look at this Hartford team, and you've got a guy in her marks that stands right around six foot nine ish, 11 half points. She's 42% from three point range. You've been able with a couple injuries for this team. Austin Williams has been missing for a few games for this team, but he has come back and he's been able to do a solid job as he's been able to put up at least 15 points in four of the last five games that he's played in overall for the season, giving you 16 points per contest. Moses Flowers is someone that has been able to shoot about 37% from three-point range now at home. He's actually struggled a little bit more, but I think that he's going to be able to pick it up. And getting back Tracy Carter is big as well. He's a guy that is a heat-seeking missile with regards to being able to get steals with right around two per contest. A guy that doesn't necessarily light it up from three-point range, though he does shoot 37% from three, but has been very wily. Does a good job of being able to run the offense. And I think that that's going to be key for Hartford being able to hang in this game. Did wind up setting the total at a 136. We've got a Hartford team that they rank in the the bottom one with regards to possessions per game as well. So, going to be going under. And I'm going to take the 13-year with Hartford. We move on to 306-109, 306-110. You've got yourself compensate. Playing those to NC Central. NC Central, a 1.5 to a 2-point underdog to all this game. And between 139 and 139.5. With Compensate, did wind up saying them as a three and a half point favorite. With Compensate, you've got to love the fact that you've got a very versatile player out there in Nandy Turkey who's been able to do a solid job. 13 points, six and a half rebounds, three assists per game, three steals per contest. Shoots right around 32% for three. Now, Compensate, as a collective, they only shoot about 28.5% from distance, 68% the free line, but does a good job of generating steals, and they're facing off against an NC Central bunch of which they are committing over 15 and a half journals per game now. They get right around 9.5 seals per game as well. And you've got a pair of guys in Randy Miller Jr. along Justin Wright who give you between 12 and a half and 13 points per game. Wright has been able to shoot about 45% from three-point range, but NC Central they shoot 67.5% at the free line, 33.5% from three-point range. You need a little bit more rebounding out of this team as Chris Monroe, coupled with Terry vs. King, they combine to be able to give you 10 and a half rebounds, about 19 or so points per game, but you do have Eric Boone who's been able to give you four assists two and a half seals per game, but certainly it's an NC Central bunch that they don't necessarily do a great job down low. Tyree Corbett should be able to own the paint, 14 points, nine and a half rebounds for the compensate team, and he has been on an unreal run, a guy that has been able to do just a great job being able to pull in there at least 12 boards in now four of the team's last six games, and for that matter, I believe that he is up to something like six out of the last nine, so he has been absolutely terrific with that regard. Jesse Zazula is able to give you 14.5 points, 3 assists per game. That should be enough for Compensate to be able to get the job done against an NC Central team that they're playing up tempo, not necessarily efficiently, but I think that you get enough possessions in this game for an over set. This all at 143.5, so I'm going to be willing to lay the points to go along with this over. 306, 111, 306, 112. Holy Cross is going to be playing up to American. American has find themselves a 3 to 3.5 point underdog. Tallest game is 134.5. Wound up saying Holy Cross as a four-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay it. With Holy Cross, they've actually been playing a little bit better recently. They were able to pull off a couple outright wins, and for American, you really just don't have a lot down low when it comes to this team. You do have a guy in Mr. Rogers in the neighborhood of Matt Rogers, nine and a half points. 4.8 rebounds per game, so he's been able to do a little bit down low for the team. Says Stacey Beckton Jr., 13 points, 4 boards, a guy that gives you 1.3 steals per game, shoots 35.5% from 3-point range, and then you've got Johnny O'Neill's been able to give you 8.5 points, 4.5 rebounds per game, so it's been a rather pedestrian bunch, and then you take a look at Holy Cross, and you do have a guy in Jarrell Gates who's going to be the best player out there on the floor. 
15 and a half points, eight boards for the transfer from New Orleans. Has now been shooting 30% from three and all in all. Holy Cross, they shoot 34.5% from three-point range, 70.5% at the free throw line. Judson Martindale has been able to chip in their nine points per game. It's a Holy Cross team that has been very inefficient with regards to their defense, but Kyra Luch has been able to give you 13 and a half points, chips in their four boards, shooting about 38% from three-point range overall, and at home, shoots more like 43% from three-point range. You take a look at the first time these two teams wound up meeting up, and neither team could necessarily get a lot going on offense as that was a Holy Cross loss by a count of 67-49. I do think that the tables are going to be turning in this one as you wind up having in that one Holy Cross go just 2 of 14 from 3 point range in American. They wind up having just 11 turnovers in that one so I think that Holy Cross takes care of the ball a little bit more. I think that they're going to be able to do a solid job with their 3 point shooting but you do have 2 very slow teams and 2 rather inefficient teams so they wind up saying this total of 129 I'm diving under and I'm going to be landing here with Holy Cross. 3 of 6 one thirty. 3-6-1-14. You've got Morgan State playing us to South Carolina State. South Carolina State anywhere between 2.5 and 3-point underdogs. So it's anywhere team 146, seeing as high as a 147.5. Set Morgan State as a 2-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points here with this South Carolina State punch. With South Carolina State and Morgan State, these two teams actually rank in the top 5 in all of college basketball in terms of possessions per game. So I wound up saying this sold on 154. You're just going to get a whole bunch of possessions now. Neither of these teams are necessarily the world's most efficient on offense and Detroit where we wound up averaging darn near 20 points per game in conference last season. He is down this year. He has given the team nine points or fewer in each of the last four games. I have no idea what's up with him, but he has not been the same guy from last year. And TJ Madlock is in good form for South Carolina State. 11.5 points, 5.5 boards, 3 assists per game. Guy that has been doing a good job of cutting down on the turnovers. Three or fewer in each of the last five games. Then you take a look down low at Oliver Hampton. I think he's going to be the best low post presence in this game for South Carolina State. Right around 6.5 points per game, but he do have, when it comes to this Morgan State team, a guy in Malik Miller who is just coming back for this team. A guy that wound up having 21 points, 10 boards in their loss to NC Central. I do think that's going to be able to give this team a little bit of a boost. You've got Keith McGee, someone who's been shooting 41.5% from three-point range at home this season. Has been rather limited with his minutes, but has been able to give the team 12-plus points in three of the last five games. Morgan State is a team that has a collective. They shoot 67.5% the free line, 30% from three-point range. South Carolina State, their numbers, not necessarily a heck of a lot better. 30% from three, 69% the charity strike. I do think that Morgan State gets the outright win at home, but I do not want to be laying any points with them. Morgan State has been one of the worst against the spread teams in all of college basketball at 3-12, and 12, so that is something to take a look at. Won't take the points with South Carolina State and going to be taking a look at the over as well. 306-115, 306-116. where State is going to be playing us to Norfolk State. Norfolk State is finding themselves as a 14-14 to 14 and a half point favorite. Dawn's game is laying 14, 133 and 133 and a half. To the surprise of many people, Delaware State has done a good job of not getting completely blown out recently. Now, you've got a Norfolk State team that's been one of the best cover teams in all of college basketball. 12-5-1 against the spread, but you take a look at Delaware State and I believe that they have covered six out of their last seven games. You do have for Norfolk State, though, a guy, Chris Bankson, who downloads, they will give you 11 points, six half boards, shooting 74% from the floor as a whole. Norfolk State, they do shoot about 34.5% for three-point range, but if you take Bankson out of the fold because he hasn't made a single three all year long, among guys that have made at least one three-pointer, three of them shoot at least 38.2% from three, all of them shoot at least 35% from three. Joe Bryant Jr., the headliner with 16.5 points, five boards, three assists, a steal and a half per contest. You've got Bankson giving you a seal per game, but about Dana Tate, along with Christian Ings. Both of these guys shoot a combined about 46.5% from three-point range. They combined to be able to give you 18.5 points per game. Dana Tate was dealing with a little bit of an injury. He is now back in the fold for this team. And then you take a look at Delaware State, and you do have a couple guys out there in the backcourt, and 
Dominic Fregala, along with Miles Carter, were able to combine for 27 points per game. You've got Carter being able to give you 5.5 boards and shoots right around 32% from 3. Delaware State, though, they shoot 64.7% free line and turn the ball over a shocking 17.5 times per game. Chris Sodom down low has been able to give the team 6 boards, but only 3.5 points per game. Not necessarily great footwork for a big man. They've been able to get Zach Kent back in the fold, but 5 points and 3 rebounds for a gentleman that transferred in from Tennessee just has not been going well for him. I do think that Norfolk State should be able to win this game rather comfortably, but set my line at 13 and a half. I'm willing to take 14 here with Delaware State. Big reason why they've been covering is just these numbers have gotten completely out of whack. Norfolk State is a rather up-tempo team. Delaware State is rather slow, but Delaware State also very inefficient on defense as well. Set the total 137 and a half. So looking at the over and looking at the points with Delhi State. You go to 306-117-306-108. You've got Alabama AM and they're going to be hitting the road to face off against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Pine Bluff is finding themselves as a seven-point underdog in your toss game. And we're between 126.5 and 127 with AM. I wound up setting them as a six and a half point favorite. I'm willing to take the seven here with Pine Bluff. Arkansas Pine Bluff certainly has been far from terrific, but I do have a gentleman that began his career as a starter at East Carolina, Sean Williams, who's able to give you 14 points per game, shooting 35% from three on the road, shoots more like 38% from distance, is someone that has been very earnest. On any given night, he could give you 30 plus. On any given night, he could give you zero. Alabama and AM, meanwhile, they've got two guys that are really running this offense. Garrett along with Javon Johnson. These two guys combined to be able to give you 30.3 points per game. Johnson, seven boards per game. And then you got Ix shooting 35% from three. Let's say these two guys, not a single guy, gives you more than seven and a half points per game. That'd be Dallin Smith, who's the number three option with seven and a half points, four boards. Does give this team a little bit of a seal per contest with Alabama A&M. They do generate eight, eight steals per game, but for Arkansas Pine Bluff, I do think that they're going to be able to hold up down low as you've got Brandon Brown, who's able to give you 9.3 points, 7.3 rebounds per game. Kyler Milton has been able to give you right around 11 points per game. A guy that hasn't been only sh- able to shoot about 26% from three-point range. Pine Bluff has a collective. They do shoot 27.5% from distance, but I do think that they're going to be able to hold up because I think that they're going to be able to get just enough rebounding, and Trey Sampson has been good this team. Four boards and nine points per game, so I do think that you're going to be able to get just enough to be able to have Arkansas Pine Bluff be able to hang in there against an A&M bunch. They don't have a lot of depth. Did wind up saying the total at a 131F. A&M has been playing rather slowly, but Arkansas Pine Bluff able to pump up their tempo and well, both of these teams very inefficient on defense. So looking at the over and looking at the points with Pine Bluff, 306-119, You've got Alcorn State, who's going to be playing us a Florida A&M. A&M is finding themselves a 5 to 5.5 point underdog in your Toulouse game. It's 131.5. I wound up saying Florida A&M as a 3-point underdog. So going to be willing to take the points with Alcorn State. You really just like that one guy that's able to take the top off of a defense. You've been able to have guys that do a really good job of being able to know their role. It certainly is a whole is greater than the sum of its parts approach when it comes to the team because with Elkhorn State right now you've got one guy that's able to average more than nine and a half points per game that'd be the main point guard in Justin Thomas comes in for more I'd say 10 points right around four assists two steals per game and when it comes to Elkhorn State they generate seven and a half steals per game as a collective they shoot 72 and a half percent at the free line but they also turn the ball over 14 times per game you've been able to get some good production recently out of Keandre Montgomery guy that's able to give you nine and a half points per game has had 14 plus in each of the last five games but you'll notice that with Elkhorn State one night it'll be Montgomery. The next night it'll be Linnell Henry, who's able to give you 8.5 points, 5 rebounds per game. It's sort of in a cycle, and you just don't know who's going to be able to come through for this team. Meanwhile, Florida AM, 
you know that it's going to be MJ Randolph. Guy that's been able to give the team 19 points, six half boards, three and a half assists, two steals per game. He doesn't necessarily take a lot of threes. Florida AM as a collective, they're only shooting about 29.5% from three. They stay away from attempting too many threes. They look to pound it inside. And Bryce Monanjay has been a big reason why. 10 points, six half rebounds per game. A guy that's able to give you a little bit over a steal per contest as well. You wind up getting a little bit over a block per game. Uh, Mr. DJ Turned Up Jones, 8.6 boards to go along with that block per game. He has been doing a relatively solid job down low, combined seven blocks in the last three games. I do think that Florida AM is going to be able to hold in this game because of what they're able to do from within a team that they only turn the ball over right around 12.8 times per game themselves. So we'll take the points here at Florida AM. AM, bottom 75 team with regards to possessions per game. Elkhorn State could be a little bit sloppy with it as well. So set this total 130. So going under to go along with the points. 306, 121, 306, 122. You've got Prairie View AM is going to be playing us like a rambling, rambling. Is a four and a half point underdog. Tolls any more team 143 and a half and 144. Set Prairie View as a six point favorite. When it comes to Prairie View, it is a bunch that plays high volatility basketball. And by that, I mean they turn the ball over a whole heck of a lot. But at the same time, they do generate a lot of seals. It's a team that they commit right around 17 turnovers per game. But at the same time, they do generate right around nine and a half seals per contest as well. So you've got both sides of it. And when it comes to Prairie View, they're going to have the best score out there on the floor. That'd be Juwan Daniels, a guy that's able to give you 14 points, five and a half boards, shooting 30. 36% from three, but at home, he's been able to shoot 42% from three with more like 16 points per game, a little bit over seven boards in his home games as well. has been really a takeover machine for the team recently. You do take a look at what you're able to get outside of him, and you've got Dwayne Cox, who's able to give you two and a half seals per game. That's one of the top marks in all of college basketball. Dyrell Roberts has been able to chip in there a little bit over 11 points per game as well. He's a guy that at home, shooting 41% from three-point range, nine plus points in each of the last three games out of him. Then you take a look at the flip side for Grambling, and they've been dealing with a couple of ailments, most notably to Dana Kingsby, a guy that overall this year has been able to give you 8.5 points per contest, but has not been seen since really the middle of January, so that means that you're going to need to have Cam Christian couple with Trey Michael Moten be able to run the offense. They give you a combined 24 points and 7 rebounds for Cam Christian. Shoots 43.5% from 3, 82% the free line for a Grambling team that they turn the ball for 14.5 times per game, only generate right around 6.5 swipes, and they do shoot 72% at the free line, but not necessarily a lot of rebounding either. You've got one guy on this Grambling team that gives you more than 5.1 rebounds per game, and that would be A.J. Taylor. You've been able to get a little bit more recently out of Eric Parrish as well, a guy that has been a little bit banged up, has been able to come back, and he's been able to give this team a combined 26 rebounds in the last four games, so that has been good to see, but at the same time, only about a 14% three-point shooter at Prairie View has better depth in this game as well. They wind up saying Prairie View as a result as a six-point favorite and with Prairie View. This is a team that they rank in the top 25 with regards to possessions per game Grambling. They rank in the top 125, so set this total at a 148 going over and laying the points. 306-123, Jackson State. Going to be playing us to Bethune-Cookman. Bethune-Cookman a 6 a six half point underdog in your tallest game. Ever between 120 and 120.5. Set my total at 125.5. I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late game fouling. You certainly do have a couple of teams that are slow and a little bit more of hanging their hat on defense, but I do think that Joe French is going to be able to keep Bethune-Cookman live in this game. He's going to be the best overall scorer out there on the floor with 15 points per game, shooting 41% from three, 90% of the free line, shoots 96% of the free line in true row games as well, which I think is very impressive. And then you take a look down low and Dylan Robertson has been able to give this Bethune-Cookman team right around six rebounds per game, but they've looked vastly different in conference play because now they've got back Kevin 
Davis, a guy that's been able to give you right around 13 points, 8 boards per game. You take a look at him, and he's been able to give this team at least 15 points in 3 out of the last 4 games. Has turned the ball over a combined 3 times in the last 3 contests as well. Now, Javius McKinnis, going to be the best overall post player in this game for Jackson State as we will chip in there a little bit under 12.5 points per game to go with 10 boards, 3.5 blocks per game, but it's a Jackson State team that they shoot 64% free flying, 28.5% from 3-point range. They've been dealing with an injury to Gabe Watson. He was really doing a good job of being able to be the top scorer for this team. Now, North Texas transfer and Terrence Lewis the second has been able to do much more for this team recently. At least signed rebounds and 14 points each of the last three contests, so he's been able to come on strong there. When it comes to Bethune-Cookman, it's not necessarily the world's most efficient team, but they do shoot right around 31.5% from three, 68.5% and the free line. I do think that the overall shooting being of the advantage of Bethune-Cookman going to be able to keep them alive. I do think that you wind up seeing some following late in this game, so made this total 125.5, willing to go over and with Jackson State, made them a 5.5 point favorite, so looking to take 6 plus here with Bethune-Cookman. 306-125, 306-126. Texas Southern going to be playing us as Southern. Southern is a 2.5 to a 3 point underdog with your total between 138 and 138.5 Texas Southern. I did mind saying them as a four-point favorite, so we're going to be one to later with Texas Southern. They're going to be able to win the battle down though. Price and Gresham is able to give this team six half points, seven boards, and nearly two blocks per contest. And in conference, Texas Southern has been a little bit better from three-point range as well. This is a bunch of out of conference. It certainly was not going their way, but you notice someone like a P.J. Henry, who's been able to shoot about 44% from three-point range. He's been able to get things going. You've got John Carl Nicholas, who's been able to do a solid job being able to give you 10 points right around five and a half rebounds per game. You Who's a Razas? Whenever he's been out there, he's been able to do a relatively solid job as well as a pure rebounder with right around five points, five rebounds per game. And you take a look at this Texas Southern team in general, and it's a bunch of which they do turn the ball over a little bit too much. 15 turnovers per game that ranks in the top 25 in all of college basketball. But here in conference, they've been able to lessen that a little bit more. And in conference, they're shooting 34% from three-point range, and they're allowing their opponents to shoot just 31% from three-point range, and that really has been a forte of the Southern team. Southern is a bunch that they shoot about 38% from three-point range. You will notice that they've only got one guy that's able to give you more than five and a half rebounds per game. That would be Damian Sears. Sears has been able to do a relatively solid job down low, but for Southern, they're really looking to be able to get some seals. They generate 10.8 per contest as you've got Tyron Lyons along with Brandon Whitney. They combine to be able to give you about 26 points per game with Lyons. He shoots 47% from three, and when it comes to what you're able to get out of P.J. Bird, he's a very good, I guess you'd call it all-mile defender and overall glue guy. Seven and a half points, three and a half assists, 1.3 seals per game, shooting 40% from three-point range, but I do think that Texas Southern could be able to get the job done in this spot when these two teams wind up meeting up in January. You did wind up having Southern be able to get the win by kind of 63 to 50 in that game, Texas Southern. 5 of 18 from three-point range with 25 turnovers compared to the 12 of Southern. I think that you're going to see a little bit of a reversal with regards to the turnovers. I did wind up setting the total at 136. Texas Southern a little bit more of a slow and button-up team, so taking a look at the under and one to lay here with Texas Southern, and we wrap things up with 306-127, 306-128. Alabama State is going to be playing us in Mississippi Valley State. Mississippi Valley State is a 10 and a half to an 11 point underdog. Total on this game is anywhere team 146 half and 147. You've got two top 50 teams with regards to possessions per game out here in this one now with Alabama State. They should be able to do a solid job of being able to keep under control a Mississippi Valley State team that they are dead last in nearly every offensive category in all of college basketball. They shoot 29% from 364% at the free line and they've been dealing with an injury to their top scoring Robert Carpenter. He has been out really the last month or so. A guy that was able to give the team 18 points per game was shooting 32% for three-point range, which sadly is actually good for this team. 
Take a look at Mississippi Valley State, and they're going to be looking to Devin Gordon to be able to continue his hot scoring 11-plus points in four of the last five games. A guy that shooting 32% from three-point range and intro row games hasn't necessarily seen a fall off there. You now have to rely upon Caleb Hunter to really run the offense, and that's not a place where you want to be. Has been able to cut down on the turnovers this year to more around 2.1, and has given the team at least 13 points at each of the last five games, but certainly a hit-or-miss three-point shooter to say the least, right around 30%. For the season and for Alabama State, Gerald Liddell, the 6'6 combo player who comes in from Texas, has been terrific with 9.5 points, 4.5 boards, shooting 40% from 3. Alabama State, as a collective, they shoot about 33% from 3-point range. You get 40% shooting out of Juan Reyna from the outside. He's been able to give you right around 8 points per contest and shoots 94% at the free throw and they combined 40 points in the last two games, so he's been able to give you some good efforts. Kenny Strawbridge, 9.5 points, 4.5 rebounds should be able to help this team out down low. And then you've got Trace Young, who wanted missing a couple games this season, back in the fold. He's been able to do a terrific job of being able to give this team right around 12 points, 5 boards, ships in there a block per game, so I do think that Alabama State should be able to control this game. They've got much better depth. They're much more efficient. Did wind up saying the total at 151.5 going over with Alabama State. One to lay up to 14.5 with them. So going to be laying the points out. And that will wrap things up for the Monday edition of Coast to Coast Soups. Now part of the VEASAN family podcast. Big thanks to Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN in Seattle for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you hear your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast? You got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jerry's41. Keep in mind, letters CM. I mean, it does not matter. So, as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. And that means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.